As the functional approach to medicine continues to evolve, we are now witnessing the emergence of a powerful systems-orientated model capable of addressing the healthcare needs of the 21st century. In April 2016, Bioceuticals will be holding the fourth Bioceuticals Research Symposium to provide healthcare professionals with leading, cutting-edge research, highlighting the future of integrative and functional medicine. We've chosen the world's leading functional medicine experts to show you how they integrate the explosion of research with the latest in genetic science, nutrition and metabolic medicine. For more information, please visit the Bioceuticals website at bioceuticals.com.au. This is FX Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. And joining me in the studio today is Dr. Robert Bust. Now, Bob earned his Bachelor of Science with Honours in Biochemistry at the University of New South Wales, and was then awarded his PhD in Medicinal Chemistry at Macquarie University, completing postdoc studies at New York State Health Department, working on thrombin inhibitors. His research covered cutting-edge work on pharmaceuticals for asthma and heart disease, Personal illness while travelling the Asian Greyhound route in the 1970s was the catalyst for a change in career focus, and this led to further studies in chiropractic and naturopathy. Before long, he was teaching nutritional medicine while formulating nutritional supplements and functional foods. One of the founders of nutritional medicine in Australia, Bob is or was the director of the International Academy of Nutrition, editor-in-chief of the International Clinical Nutrition Review and author of four best-selling books, including Food Intolerance, Food Chemical Sensitivity, The Cholesterol Myth, and his latest one, Love Your Cholesterol. And I truly wholeheartedly welcome Bob Buist. Oh, thanks, Andrew. <laughs> Bob, you've been a mentor of mine for many years, and today we're going to be talking about the advantages of whey protein and how it can benefit many areas of human function, dysfunction, and health. So, yeah, so what's so different about whey as opposed to some of the other whey, uh, proteins that we have on the market? Well, there's now a whole wealth of literature on why whey, whey proteins are, are really good for just about everything from heart disease to um, liver problems, um, kidney function, and so on. But the thing that makes me think that whey is an entirely different beast is the composition of the actual amino acids mm. in the whey, mm. together with the fact that when you eat something that's protein, it sits in your stomach for half an hour to maybe two hours of its pork. And all these things are solids. But whey is actually soluble. So when whey, as a protein, as a solid, you can take as a powder, when that hits your stomach acid, it dissolves. Then because it dissolves instantly, you get this instant energy. There's access uh, to the um, digestive enzymes, so you get really good digestion of the whey compared to other protein. This is why it's called fast protein. Mm -hmm. So a slow protein is the other protein in milk called casein. Now, it's not soluble, it's insoluble, but it coagulates and it sits in the stomach for much longer. So there's a really good 
difference just in that, you know, quite apart from all the other things that we, we're going to talk about. For example, whey uh, has a lot of amino acids that are really important for muscle building. Uh, these are the branch chain amino acids and mm -hmm. particularly leucine. So leucine is the key. It's the linchpin when it comes to manufacturing muscles. And later on, we can talk about sarcopenia, which is uh, a loss of muscles yep. as we get older and it's replaced with fat. But before we do that, the, the main uh, uh, branch chain amino acids that are in whey, and let's face it, whey is 25 to 30% of the uh, sorry, the branch chain amino acids are thirty five, maybe thirty percent of the actual uh, amino acids in in the whey protein itself, and leucine, which is the major one, is about fourteen percent. So the, high, it's really? really really high. That's right. So you have got um, leucine, isoleucine, and valine. Yep. These these are the main ones. So um, apart from that, you've also got the ability to blunt the. Um, postprandial spike in glucose and triglycerides. And this is really important because we now know that triglycerides, you know, keeping the triglyceride levels down, really important, particularly in diabetics, mm. uh, metabolic syndrome and so on. And sugar levels also because diabetes is such a problem, uh, world, type 2 diabetes right around the world. So these are just some of the things that I think are fundamentally important. But by far the most overwhelming importance is in there's a high level of cysteine, which is one of the non-essential amino acids that's in whey. Mm. When you combine cysteine with glutamic acid and glycine, you end up with uh, glutathione. Now, this is, this is the major antioxidant when it comes to the liver, and, and all sorts of cells in the body rely on glutathione. And for that reason, a lot of the uses of whey relate back to the ability of the body, because it's got these biological spare parts, as I call them, mm -hmm. to put together glutathione. So th these are just a few of the things that I think separate whey from casein, albumin, uh, pea protein, uh, soy protein, and so on, which have the amino acids, but don't have this particular composition. When you're talking about a differential between certainly um, whey and casein, you know, people often get whey confused with milk, but um, then also the other proteins is whey's effect on appetite. Um, and what's interesting to me is, you know, baby formula, for instance, is a mixture of whey, but also casein. Why was casein chosen and, and what are the benefits of whey over casein? Well, casein is still... Um obviously a protein that can be utilised and it does have all the amino acids and it's a, it's a very important protein. But as I said, it's a slow protein. Mm. However, the whey itself has some amazing effects that casein doesn't have, for example, on some of the hormones that control things like appetite and your hunger, whether you're putting on fat or not uh, too quickly, mm -hmm. which is uh, the obesity problem that we have worldwide. So when you're taking whey, what you're doing is you're lowering ghrelin. Now, ghrelin is one of the hormones in the stomach that actually makes you feel hungry. And if you're taking whey, it sort of down-regulates the actual production of ghrelin. And at the same time, it increases the production of leptin, which is another hormone that's in fat tissue and can act on the brain. So normally, if you're not sleeping, for example, um, 
you're going to lower the levels of leptin and increase the levels of ghrelin. And this is one of the reasons why people that don't sleep well are putting on weight. They don't realise they're eating more calories because their entire hormone system that controls weight reduction, uh, weight um, problems, is changed. And this, this, is, a, this is really um, a big problem. Um, some of the other things that whey does also that, that casein doesn't, which is, as I said, they're, they're the two major proteins in milk, is that the whey will increase cholecystokinin and that will make sure that your gallbladder is working, your pancreas is working and you're digesting. So your whole digestive capacity in the stomach depends on these particular hormones. So the cholecystokinin is up. And incidentally, that comes from glucomacropeptide, which is one of the components of whey, and that it stimulates the cholecystokinin. But also, there's glucagon-like peptide and pancreatic peptide. Now, those are two also that prevent the stomach emptying very quickly. So all the time while you're taking whey protein, you're keeping the food in the stomach digesting and yep. it's, it's preventing it emptying quickly. You're absorbing things, but you're not emptying it quickly. So what that does is basically control appetite, controls hunger. So if you put that together to, with the leptin situation, and incidentally, a lot of people don't have low leptin, particularly if they're overweight. Mm. They High leptin, but leptin, it doesn't work. It, it's right. It doesn't work. So it's insulin insensitivity. Uh, is exactly the same with the leptin. It's there, but it's not working properly. So when people talk about or when you say um, whey is a fast protein, that's not to say like a fast sugar spike. No. Is it? It's totally and utterly different. It's a different concept. Well, in fact, beta-lactoglobulin is not digested in the stomach, and that's one of the major whey protein. This is probably the major whey protein. It actually is found intact, virtually intact, in the small intestine. So, yeah, it, there, there's all sorts of dynamics going on. But all we can say is that after 40 to 60 minutes, there's a peak in the amino acids that you get from whey. And what it does is it's increasing amino acids in the bloodstream, not sugar. And those amino acids, particularly things like the branched chain amino acids and lysine, giving rise to insulin. So the effectiveness of the insulin uh, is very much dependent on having the right amino acid, acid balance. Now, these they've actually done some scientific studies showing that the combination of those particular amino acids that are in the way are controlling insulin production. So with the problem worldwide with insulin at the moment, as I alluded to before with type 2 diabetes, yep. it's nice to have a food that is controlling the production of insulin and insulin sensitivity, which is, which is even key. more. Yeah. Insulin sensitivity. Yeah. So when we're talking about some of the unique features of whey, you can damage it though. You can change it though, can't you? You can change the profile from ordinary whey to whey protein concentrate to whey protein isolate, ionized. Then you've got some other sorts. You've got to look after it if you're going to preserve one of the important functions of whey to me, and that's the immune functions. That's right. Well, there's many ways of producing whey. Usually it's in cheese production. And we can't really heat the whey because if you heat it, you denature it. And I'm, I learned in my first year at biochemistry that any protein that you heat over 114 degrees denatures. Now, whether that's true or not, it's, it's, it's a long time ago mm. and I might be a bit out there. Mm -hmm. But basically, you, you don't heat things. Now, when we create um, the way that we've got at the moment, I mean, incidentally, the actual proportion of casein and uh, whey protein is about 80 to 20% in milk. So if you take the whey... 
um, say the way concentrate, there's way concentrate and way isolate. Way concentrate can be anywhere from 35 to 80% of the actual um, proteins. Yep. Way isolate is about 90%, so it's a very purified form. So what happens is it goes through either microfiltration or ultrafiltration. Ultrafiltration is actually four times um, less um, the holes that are in the filtration process yeah. are four times Small. less. So you actually are concentrating the large proteins. And what comes through is actually the permeate. And permeate, um, th there's been a lot of um, publicity on this lately mm. because uh, you know some of the supermarkets had permeate in their milk and that's not what you want. So what we're trying to do is to concentrate, in the way concentrate, 35 to 80%. Of course, it's much better, I think, to have the 80% way concentrate. Uh, and also when it comes to the isolate, um, you're allowing more and more of these substances through and just keeping the high quality proteins. So I, can I just clear up for our listeners? So mm. even when you have whey protein concentrate, you can have a vast difference in the amino acid buildup or the amino acid components in that whey protein concentrate. That's correct. If you have 35% whey protein That's concentrate. That's a pretty poor quality. It's, it's poor quality because most of it could be lactose. Yeah. And people are so disturbed by having huge amounts of lactose that, you know, that, that can cause real problems mm. with lactose intolerant people. So it's really good if you're going to use uh, a concentrate to have all the goodies that you need. You know, you don't want to get rid of everything. Mm -hmm. And in fact, often a concentrate plus a, an isolate combination is the best. Right. But when you start to get into those super uh, refined whey, whey protein products, mm. don't you lose out on the immune fractions? Isn't that one of the real reasons to maintain that whey protein concentrate? No, because you're actually keeping a lot of the immune fractions. It doesn't go through with the permeate, which is what we were just talking about. Right, right. So um, what you're doing is you're concentrating the immune fractions mm. Uh, and the lactalbumins and the lactoglobulins and the bovine serum albumins, all of those are intact. And that's whether it's uh, in, in the isolate or in the concentrate. So the only thing that comes through, that's why the permeate is something that people don't really need because right. it's just lactose. There is some minerals and things in there, but, yep. but basically we want the other, um, the other goodies. And what about things like, you know, the cysteine components? You mentioned that it was in there, mm. but you've got a cysteine and cysteine. That's right. Is that? Can you explain well, that and how that functions with, say, glutathione or detox? <laughs> okay. The, the cysteine is in a very high proportion, um, particularly in some, like beta-lactoglobulin and that. I think there's, there's about uh, 14 cysteine residues and same with alpha-lactalbumin and, and bovine serum. They all have very high levels of cysteine. Yep. And those high levels of cysteine are really important because cysteine – is the rate-limiting, if you like, um, step in, in the production of um, the glutathione. So um, if you're actually trying to increase glutathione in the body, one of the best ways um, in the past we thought that we weren't able to make glutathione by taking oral uh, cysteine and oral um, glutamic acid mm -hmm. and, and glycine. Now we know, yes, that can happen, but what we do know also is that free-form amino acids in whatever form are often metabolised more quickly by the body. So even if you're taking cysteine or you're taking a glutamine, they're still going to be metabolised out one way or yeah. another. Yeah. Whereas when you're taking them 
um, as whey protein. You then hydrolyze them into peptides. So glycinyl cysteine and glutamyl cysteine are much more effectively converted into glutathione. That's what they have found, which is why one of the great uh, ways of taking glutathione, although there are some new supplements that are very effective, but one of the great foods, if you like, that's going to give us also, and that can augment whatever we're doing supplementally, is to take it with whey protein. So yeah. that, then you've got the best of both worlds. Yeah. It, well, indeed, I, like I often prefer um, whey to help with supporting my cancer patients through mm. their therapy because it's got a twofold action. One is to maintain their weight. Mm. And one of the worst things that they can get is weight loss during their, their chemo exactly. or radiotherapy. The second one is that it's improving their glutathione status. And so it's helping their immune system as well. And it's just a, a double whammy benefit to, mm. to my patients. And and I think that most of the the real importance of, of having whey proteins, particularly for many patients with many different clinical conditions, is because of this cysteine component. Mm. And when it comes to muscles, also the glutamine component and the branched chain amino acids. So you can see that, you know, not all the proteins that, that we're dealing with, particularly when it goes into supplementation, food supplements, uh, you just you just don't get that sort of uh, combination of amino acids that you do in, in the whey protein, uh, concentrate and isolate. I, I should point out one of the last um, benefits that I see in the whey protein is because it tastes good. And a lot of the protein supplements taste pretty horrific. You know, that is so <laughs> true. It's so true. And, you know, I've been involved with putting together whey supplements now for many, many years. And, and the more I do it, the more I realise that what you said is almost the key. People say, but it tastes so good, you know, because if you taste some of the other proteins that are out there, Horrible. they're not too good, Horrible. are they? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, when you're talking about those people that have got a particular hurdle to overcome, let's say, you know, because they're nauseous during their chemotherapy, it's got to make it easy for them to take. But also elderly people, you know, people who can't afford good nutritious food because of our, you know, their pensioners. Um, and it's really important for them to get a highly nutritious uh, meal that's going to help maintain muscle mass in these people, particularly because of sarcopenia. Mm -hmm. So. Absolutely. And sarcopenia is becoming a real relevant thing because now we know that um, as we get older, particularly when we hit around 40 and 50, we do have a tendency to start losing muscles and instead it's replaced with fat. And this fat is also associated with uh, inflammation, cytokine production and so on. Mm. So um, the, the sarcopenia won't occur as readily if we have plenty of the growth hormone, testosterone and insulin, particularly in guys, because these are the hormones that actually keep our muscles. But as they decline, say when we're 50, 60, 70, as that decline, the other thing we can do is we can take something like whey protein simply because it's so high in leucine, uh, isoleucine and valine. So we're starting to hang on to our muscle to make more muscle. Also, glutamine is really important because glutamine is the major amino acid that's in whey. That's why I like whey so much yeah. because if you want to hang on to your muscles, not only are you manufacturing, but you also don't want to lose your muscles. Mm. And there's a whole story on that too when it comes to – oh, and incidentally, before I move on to, to that story, if you combine the combination of, say, the branched-chain amino acids that we just mentioned with the cysteine and the glutamine – Together with resistance exercise, this is the formula 
for hanging on to your muscles as you get older. So a lot of guys out there I know that are thinking, whoa, you know, it used to be easy to lose weight and, and now I'm putting it on around the middle. Um, my arms are getting flabby and, and whatever. Well, you can you can stop this happening by having the right protein and by doing the resistance training that, that, that we're talking about. But what I was going to get into, and I don't know whether it's relevant to get into it now, but the combination of cysteine and glutamine is absolutely critical. And the glutamine-cysteine ratio is, is absolutely fundamental when it comes to talking about sarcopenia and hanging on or losing muscle. So what normally happens, if you're going to lose your muscle, say in sarcopenia, you get a movement of um, the, the cysteine into the liver and it's actually converted to sulfate ions and protons. And this is going to inhibit urea production. So when you're breaking down protein from muscles, so you're losing your, you're losing your muscles, that is going to generate a lot of ammonia that's mm. converted into urea. Mm. You want to stop that. Now, the way you stop that is that the body naturally, if it's got the cysteine, now it has to have the cysteine in the first place, mm. moves into the liver, is converted into sulfate and, and uh, protons, and it then, instead of, it actually inhibits the production of urea from ammonia, and the ammonia is then diverted into glutamic acid, which then goes back into the bloodstream and then goes back into the muscles to become glutamine. So is that why glutamic acid was originally thought to inhibit urea production? Yes, that... I, I think that's that's probably the reason because that was obviously high uh, in the liver at, yep. the, at the time because yep. it was that was what it was doing. It was removing the ammonia instead of into urea into glutamic acid. So you can see why to have a protein source that's high in glutamine, i.e., you know your main um, amino acid for muscles, mm. and high in cysteine, which can regulate the breakdown of muscle protein. And guess what? You've got all this in whey protein. So this is a fantastic thing to have. And it's one of the reasons why the the fundamental way that you hang on to your muscles as you get older is to have uh, whey protein shakes together with resistance exercise. Those two are the fundamental two things. And there's a hell of a lot of scientific literature that actually supports that. One of the things that's really interesting me at the moment is a, a recent study was talking about antioxidants worsen uh, tumour growth. And they were speaking about an isolated quote-unquote antioxidant, which I think we need to get rid of that, that term, but anyway, mm. N-acetylcysteine. And what they were looking at was the amount of glutathione that was in the cancer cells. How do you ratify the use of whey, mm -hmm. which helps in glutathione production, in cancer patients? It's a very good question. <laughs> and the jury is still out to a certain extent. But, you know, sometimes we can get too clever for ourselves in science and we have all the theories and we, we can work it all out. But, you know, basically, if you give way to people with breast cancer and prostate cancer and hang on, you know, it, it helps them. And it helps them in a way that I think these are some of the, the theories of what's going on. In the cancer cell, you've actually got an increase in glutathione. In the other cells of the body, there may be a decrease at the same time. So, you know, what is going on here? Is it stealing glutathione from the surrounding cells? Is it trying to compensate for the fact that there is a hell of amount of disorder? There's oxidant damage, there's carcinogens, there's free radical production. So it needs extra glutathione. However, when you actually take 
and th this is animal studies mainly, this comes from, when you actually take whey protein, there is a decrease of glutathione in the cancer cells. There's a lack of, accum of accumulation of glutathione in the cancer cells. And guess what? The other cells of the body start accumulating. Yeah. So this means, supposing you're undergoing chemotherapy or you're undergoing radiotherapy. Now, I'm not in agreement with a lot of this, but if you do, you're protecting the rest of yourselves and making the cancer cells more vulnerable. That's right. To me, it was one of the key issues is that whey also has this some action in um, dampening inflammatory responses right. as well. It, it does. So, and we know that inflammation is associated with all chronic degenerative diseases. So, at the moment, we, there's still me, more research is definitely needed. We don't understand how, but the, the main thing is that the, the research so far, particularly on animals, is, is showing this particular strange phenomena that the, the, the glutathione can be reduced in the, in the uh, cancer cells while the other cells are being increased in their glutathione. I think one of the other points is that when people are looking at one single supplement as a magic bullet. They're mm. really barking down the wrong track. Absolutely. And I, barking down the wrong path. And I love yeah. your term, the biological spare parts. They yeah. work in tandem. These yeah. things yeah. work as a team. They don't work in singularity. No. So if you're going to give a huge amount of N-acetylcysteine and you're going to upregulate quote-unquote glutathione, mm. okay, so my question is what about its redox partner? Absolutely. What about the enzymes? Mm. What are you doing there? What are you actually feeding? What are you actually upsetting? Um, to me, it's a very dangerous and reductionist mentality to sort Absolutely. of go. So what they're going to do is they're going to blame NAC, mm. and then, of course, NAC gets a bad mark mm. because of some silly study that was done in a reductionist way. Exactly. Dumb. And, I mean, this has been my hobby horse for the last 20 or 30 years. I mean, you've heard me rave about this so many times. There's a difference between pharmacology and biochemistry. You got it. And in biochemistry, you know, you have this many, many different pathways of many, many mechanisms. It's an orchestra, and they're all playing together in the, in, in the right sort of tune. Pharmacology is a single agent that gets in, controls the mode of action, and the uh, manipulates cell behavior. But this is not what we're dealing with in complementary medicine. We are dealing with all of these different biological molecules, and they are biological spare parts, and we do need to give them together. That's why we believe that you need to have tocotrienols and tocopherols as an absolute orchestra of yeah. these things. And when you give flavonoids and carotenoids, you know, let, let's give the full set together with whatever we're augmenting mm. at the same time. And, you know, if I can just as a little offshoot, you know, I also believe that everyone's down on palmitic acid, you know, it's saturated fat and so on. But, you know, when you actually have the palmitic acid together with linoleic acid, oleic acid, stearic acid, which in fact is saturated fat, mm. you don't have exactly the same situation. So, so what so we're doing... The, the isolated component. The isolated palmitic acid is going to give you entirely different results right. to that if you eat the full complement that exists in nature. And this is the whole point. When you look at some of these studies, the you know top scientists, and they're only looking at one mm. of these features, which is pharmacology. They're, they're pulling out a single nutrient. You have to look at the full schmear. And in fact, you know, for those who are listening to this, realize that saturated fat when it comes to beef is 45% of the beef fat is actually oleic acid. Now, that's a monounsaturated. That's actually good for the heart and everything. I won't go into it mm -hmm. now, but it's a hobby horse of mine. But, you know, it, it gets back to what we were saying. We need to have, when we're looking at biochemistry and yep. we're looking at nutrition, mm. we're looking at foods, we need to have all of those micronutrients together. When we're looking, you mentioned earlier, uh, 
about diabetes and it's rife within our community. Mm. We are set for an explosion of diabetes and heart disease and the associated healthcare costs with that, running into the hundreds of billions. Like I think mm. the latest one was $187 billion projected. It's huge. Massive. Mm. Um, when you're looking at the sequelae of that or, or, or the the attendant comorbidities that happen with diabetes, you've got blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, increased triglycerides, everything like that, where can whey help in managing diabetes? Well, you know what? You've just put your finger on them. You've just mentioned them. That, that's what's so interesting. When it comes to metabolic syndrome, obesity, problems with ischemic heart disease, for example, all of those conditions, when you've, you've put whey into the formula, into the diet of, of people that have those particular conditions, you're immediately changing the blood sugar levels. You are changing the lipid profile, you are making the insulin uh, more reactive, more sensitive. Mm. So insulin resistance starts waning away. The blood pressure that was a problem starts coming down. Even, and they've done some interesting studies on uh, the arterial stiffness. So this is also going to change because, and mechanistically we don't know exactly why, but I would guarantee it's something to do with glutathione production, to do with cysteine, uh, to do with muscles and so on. And we're giving such an amazing supplement with the whey that it's actually having an effect on all these things, but mm. particularly when you're thinking also of inflammation. We mentioned before that whenever you've got fat, now it doesn't matter whether it's around the middle, whether it's visceral fat or it's fat in the arteries, you've still got inflammation. You've got an increase in the interleukins, interleukin 1 and 6. You've got an increase in tumor necrosis factor alpha. You've got um, uh, C-reactive protein increased. You've got some of the complement, complement 4 increase. All of that means that inflammation needs to be handled. Yeah. And way is generating this glutathione all the time. And that's what is so beautiful about it. Mm. So when we're looking at um, people who have got, let's say, a pre-existing diagnosis of diabetes, um, type 2 diabetes, Mm -hmm. and they're probably already on blood pressure medication, an anti-diabetic medication, possibly a heart medication as well. Mm. Can you talk to me about the safety of whey when people have got these meds? Well, look, the beauty of it is that everybody on a daily basis eats protein. And this is the best form of protein. It's got all the essential amino acids for a start. don't know any other protein that has more of the important essential amino acids that we can't make. Um, we have to make, um, we have to get from outside. We can't make it mm. in our body. Mm. So um, it's biologically more uh, usable than any other form of protein. I mean, the next one is albumin, albumin, uh, which is egg protein. That's quite biologically <laughs> usable. It doesn't taste very good, like you pointed out before, and rightfully I, so. I have a long-standing <laughs> joke. When I used to um, consult um, in a pharmacy, there was the the bodybuilding section, and there was always one tin of egg protein, <laughs> and it would almost go out of date before some meathead would come in and buy it, right? Yeah, <laughs> who, who preferred it? But there was only yeah. ever one. Exactly. <laughs> Nobody yeah. ever liked it. No. So you know, to answer your question, in a nutshell, I mean, it, it is a food, and it does it does not have the problems. The only possible problem with proteins on a whole is with the kidneys. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about kidneys? Yes, because I remember a patient actually, and it was something that I found out about, but um, uh, a patient taking whey protein actually did better mm-hmm. 
and they ha- were in early stage renal failure. Right. And they did better. And their specialist said, whatever you're doing, <laughs> continuing, I just don't want to know about it. Yeah. Well, there's a really interesting story on that. But basically, um, remember the Atkins diet? Yeah. And, and you know the paleo diet, when people started off, it was just meat, yeah. meat, meat. Now we know differently. We have to have vegetables. Yeah. We have to have fibre. We have to look after the microbiome, particularly in the lower bowel. We have to have it acidic. We have to prevent leaky bowel. We have to make sure that the bugs are the right sort of bugs, no endotoxin coming in, you know, no um, endotoxemia. Thank <laughs> you very much. And we have to make these um, fatty, fatty acids like your... Um, uh, lactic acid, propionic acid, butyric acid. Yep. That's a whole other story. But the point is that now if we're eating protein, a high-protein diet is going to increase the glomerular filtration rate. So it will do that. But we have to have a balanced diet with it. We have to have vegetable matter and fiber and all the other things too. So don't go off on this strange um, new religion called high-protein, meaning that it only means high-protein. So we've we've got to balance that. Now, having said that, there are some people that have kidney disease that do have renal failure. Now, we do need to cut the protein down with these people. We need to watch out for magnesium, potassium, phosphorus, and a whole lot of things. However, what you were alluding to before is that because the whey protein is high in branched-chain amino acids, This is an interesting situation because it means that those with kidney disease that have whey protein as the source of protein have a much better nutrition, they have better kidney function, and because of that, they also have better brain function and the ammonia that builds up is handled better and so on. So as far as I can see from the literature at the moment, by giving whey protein as the source of protein in people with kidney failure, it's a much better alternative because of the high level of branched-chain amino acids. As we said before, it could be 25% mm. of all of the protein could be the branched-chain amino acids. But you've got to have well-prepared whey protein. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a, a different thing. You can't just say whey protein no. because there's so many different sorts. That's right. And, and I mean, it, you need to actually get... Um, as pure as possible, you need it to be not denatured. It, it can't be, you know, heated up. Um, and it's got to be purified so that you have um, the right sort of uh, immunoglobulins and the right sort of proteins we mentioned before. So, yeah, and it needs to be very pure. What about whey protein influencing um, triglyceride levels? Because this, is, again, is a huge product in di- a huge problem in diabetics. It is. And I think one of the things is that w- as soon as you want to get the triglycerides down, you've got to get rid of sugar. It, it, sugar must go because sugar is one of the most important ways the world is increasing its triglyceride yeah. levels. Yeah. And if you get rid of that together with refined flours and some of the cakes and biscuits and all the things, then you're well on the way to bringing the triglycerides down. And, of course, you can throw in a few omega-3 oils too. Uh, we do know that over a period of time Absolutely. that's also going to High help. doses, yeah. But what it does is interesting is that the whey protein, as we mentioned before, you know, this has a profound effect on the gastrointestinal tract. And what it does is the postprandial um, triglyceride levels and the glucose levels that often rise, the whey protein dampens down that particular rise. So that, for example, if you were to take uh, 18 grams of whey protein together with 25 grams of glucose, if you looked at the um, glucose uh, tolerance test curve, Mm -hmm. the area under the curve would be decreased 56%. 
by having the whey with the glucose. So as opposed to 25 grams of glucose alone. As, as opposed to 25 grams of glucose. So it bluntens that rise. Yeah. Uh, and the same, uh, if you were to give it with casein, you're only getting um, about a 31% effect compared to 56. So once again, whey is ahead of the pack when it comes to not only controlling the rise in, in glucose levels, but also the rise in triglycerides, yeah. because uh, which is much more sophisticated in the way in which the triglycerides are forming and so on in the liver and going into the bloodstream and that. But it's still, uh, there is a blunting of that spike. We spoke about um, uh, the way and its impact on inflammatory cytokine production. And um, certainly we know that putting a pressure on the on the liver from permeable guts that are damaged by bad foods and stress and all that sort of thing. Can whey help to repair that and reduce things like non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or, you know, the pre-diabetic sort of syndrome? Mm. It can. And, and, it, and again, it's getting back to the level of cysteine particularly because with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and the steatohepatitis and, and eventually cirrhosis of the liver. Mm. That entire thing is one continuum. Yeah. And it just depends on where you're actually hitting it. But it is an inflammatory disorder, and you'll find that the liver enzymes, uh, ALT, AST, will go down when you take the whey. The fatty infiltration of the liver will go down. Will retard, yeah. You are increasing glutathione in the liver when you're taking whey. So there is a profound effect on those with metabolic syndrome and obesity that have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And I think this is absolutely fascinating. Mm. But it, it, to, to get it back again to that idea that it's the uh, glu glutamylcysteine and the glycinylcysteine residues in the whey that seem to be behind uh, what what's happening with non-alcoholic fatty liver, liver disease at all. So there's, there's, there's this thread of um, glutathione um, precursors yep. running through everything from the kidney disease and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease through the uh, heart disease. Uh, it, you know, all of it seems to be related to inflammation and the way in which whey can dampen down inflammation. Can you answer a long-standing question of mine that I've been pondering <laughs> for years? I'll try, Andrew. <laughs> so I remember, you know, that dye and tripeptides were more more easily absorbed. That was the form that we preferred to absorb them in. Yes. People talk about quote unquote glutathione precursors, but they're actually the single free form amino acids. Mm. Um, are dye and tripeptides better absorbed into out of the human intestinal tract? And how does that affect glutathione preformed being absorbed? Well, we we have the ability to take in free-form amino acids, these are generated to a certain extent in the gut, but not too much. So what happens is the amino peptidases in the actual uh, wall of the gut in the small intestine uh, have the ability, the amino peptidases, to take in these peptides and then they generate the amino acids. And then you've got the carriers like albumin and so on that carry the free-form amino acids through the bloodstream. So it, it's not a matter of whether the amino acids in a free-form are absorbed as much. It's just that the, the major way in which these amino acids get in is as the peptide, tripeptide, dipeptide, and then they're handled by the body in a certain way. So I guess there is some sort of framework or um, a way in which the body is used to handling peptides 
in a way that it can structure things like the glutathione and that from cystinyl cysteine, uh, glycinyl cysteine, yeah. glutamyl cysteine, and that that is the best way to form glutathione rather than throw in some uh, cysteine and valine and proline and, and all the rest. Yeah, of that's things. right. You yeah. can't guarantee the amount of glutathione production that's going to happen from free form amino acids no. as opposed to its dipeptide. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's correct. Yeah, precursor. That's, that's correct. So what about people, we've spoken about diabetic, we've spoken about heart disease. Mm-hmm. What about people with existing liver disease, like, for instance, hepatitis, huge mm. issue, mm. and particularly things like hep C, mm. you know, very, very bad, high risk of hepatocellular carcinoma mm. um, progression. Does whey have a play, a role to play in those these patients? Look, it does seem to because people that take whey tend to have a reduction in viral load and also a reduction in inflammation. So again, it's getting back to this inflammatory area, the cytokines, um, all of the things that we've talked about. I mean, it's like we're repeating ourselves all the time, but you know, it's the same things that are within the way uh, amino acid structure that are affecting. Now, a lot of the work has been done on animals yeah. at the moment, but the fact that the, the viral load is down, I think there was one study with humans, with 27 humans compared to 15 controls, and they did find in those humans there was a, a reduction in the viral load and also the the uh, liver enzymes came down, AST particularly, which you know fluctuates, but it came down, uh, ALT, all of the liver enzymes came down together with the viral and the inflammation, not only did it go down, but guess what? The glutathione level started rising. So this is interesting stuff, isn't it? It's the same old story that keeps coming through with many of these disorders where there is inflammation involved. So in general detox, you know, there's been there's normally been this um, aversion of anything to do with a cow apart from meat, <laughs> um, any secretion from a cow when you're talking about detox. And they, I think it's because practitioners tend to think whey equals milk, and mm. it's not. They're, they're vastly different in their protein milk uh, makeup. Do you ha- have any um, hesitancies using whey in those patients undergoing a detox? No, I, I don't. It, it it depends on what you're trying to detox. Um, are you trying to detox heavy metals? Are you trying to detox um, organochlorines? Um, is it a lot of uh, you're running next to the road and you've got a lot of car fumes? Uh, you're working in an industry that, that's full of solvents and you want to get rid of the solvents. But on a whole, because of the, the, the features that we've just mentioned on the whey protein, I don't see it as a problem. And in any case, a lot of people, I think, that have dairy allergies or that have a problem with dairy products don't understand that often you can take whey even though you can't take some of the other dairy products because, number one, if it's the right sort of whey combination, particularly with the isolate and the whey protein concentrated at about 80%, you've got hardly any lactose, so you don't have a lactose sensitivity. You've removed a lot of the casein. So if it was a casein problem, that's gone. The only thing is that beta-lactoglobulin can be a problem, particularly for very young children. So you need to be a little bit careful 
I think, with, with, with young children, although even that is changing as to what the mother should be doing during pregnancy. Uh, in, in this idea of taking out all dairy, you know, get rid of all gluten, get rid of all these things, and you're going to protect the child is not valid mm, anymore. No, no. You've got to expose the mother to what the child is going to um, get in utero. And then the self and non-self adjustment in the child, the major histocompatibility factors and that are formed in in a much more meaningful way. Yeah. So it's called antigenic ambivalence, isn't it? Well, is a little bit a little bit of a little exposure bit, yeah. to them, not huge, but no. a little bit of exposure to these so-called offending things and then, or actually keep it in equilibrium. That's right. And then the baby is going to be born into a world and of course they've already been exposed to some of these things and the immune system is ready to take on that. What about other factors that you might think of with regards to using with whey, maybe, mm -hmm. um, that might help increase glutathione production? Well, firstly, one that, that we haven't mentioned is blood pressure. Um, there's some yep. real, it's not glutathione, but it, it gets back to the peptides that we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. And um, I know that uh, Fonterra were working on. Um, certain peptides within the whey fraction to reduce blood pressure. And I got in touch with them and I was trying to get a little bit more information, but unsuccessfully because I guess it's, it's, it's a top secret. They know who you but are. <laughs> I, uh, I, I do know that uh, now in Japan, I've just come back from Japan uh, uh, about a month ago, mm. and they've got a, um, a product over there called A-Meal, A-M-E-A-L, and it's found in sour milk, and it's a peptide that's that's from whey in sour milk, and it's um, valine and proline and proline. So it's a tripeptide of yep. valine, proline, and proline. Mm -hmm. They also have uh, isoleucine uh, and proline and proline. So they are out there, but at this particular juncture, um, there's not enough real good research, I think, to say, well, this is the one that you would take to lower blood pressure. And I think the reason for that is that the reasons for having high blood pressure can be due to a failure in your kidney. It could be the lungs. Uh, we mentioned uh, arterial <laughs> stiffness. It could be your lungs. Uh, it could be the baroreceptors. It could be your heart not working properly. So it's a so many mechanisms yeah. can be involved. Peripheral you know, Free radical damage. Mm. I mean, you know, it goes on and on. So yeah. just to say, well, oh, this is the peptide you'd need, I think is a bit simplistic. Yeah, yeah. That's to do with the condition rather than the uh, trying to simplify the treatment. Exactly. And we're more interested in etiology. We're more interested in, in the, the causes and, and what's going on behind the scenes, not the condition. Bob, I love the way, certainly your expansive knowledge on, on not just way but everything else. <laughs> and you've been a mentor of mine for, gosh, over two decades now. I've got to personally thank you for that one. <laughs> well, you you really did. You formed me. You formed how I questioned things. Oh, well, that's very and kind I, of yeah, you. Yeah, I really appreciate yes, no, it. That's good. So thank you so much for taking our listeners through the applications of way in so many different disorders mm. um, today. So I really thank you for that. No, that's a pleasure. This is FX Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today on FX Medicine, Please engage with us and let us know what further topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in contact with us through our website, fxmedicine.com.au, or look for FX Medicine in your favourite social media platform. You can also rate and review us on iTunes, and we'd really like to thank those who have already rated us. It's through your continued support 
that enables us to bring you current, complex and relevant topics to enhance your practice of natural medicine.